This morning's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. Please rise for the reading of God's word. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the whole the light is within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And who do you worry, and why do you worry about your clothes? See how the lilies in, of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is, uh, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is God's word. And please remain standing for hymn number 103. About 3,300 years ago, A great Israeli leader named Joshua, as he neared the end of his days, he had a singular message that he wanted his people to get. And he said, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Around 2,700 years ago, A great prophet of Israel stood on Mount Carmel, challenging the false god that many of the people were worshiping, Baal. And he said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus offered a similar sentiment. And he said, you cannot serve God and mammon. The primacy of that message carries down to today. God calls us to make a decision. Our our lives going to be all about serving God 
Or are we going to waver between opinions? Are we going to serve other things? In this case, are we going to serve mammon as though it were a god and let it rule us? Let's pray. Father, what we are talking about this morning can only be accomplished in our hearts. It can only be accomplished by your spirit driving home wonderful truths about you and your love for us. It can only be accepted when we first realize how much you treasure us. Lord, give us an understanding through this passage of what this means. Most of all, what it means for us in our choice today and each day. In Christ we pray. Amen. Bob Dylan wrote a very well-known song, said, you got to serve someone. goes like this. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. goes down later. You may be a preacher with your spiritual pride. You may be a councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barber shop. You may know how to cut hair. You may be somebody's mistress, maybe somebody's heir. His song goes through just about every choice that we make in life, every kind of lifestyle, but each time he concludes, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. That's the overriding message of this portion of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is going to say it in three different ways. He's going to say, Store up your treasures in heaven. Make that choice, not the treasures of this earth. You can't serve God and mammon. You've got to make a choice. And then toward the end of the chapter, seek first the kingdom of God above all else. Don't store up your treasures in heaven, he says first. Now, this in in the context of the entire chapter where he's been talking about where you store up treasure. We zero in on this passage, uh, this verse, and often look at the culture around us and and say, uh, this materialistic culture is, is chosen to worship the almighty dollar. Uh, instead of God. But of course, we're in church this Sunday. We're, we're, we've chosen to serve God. That's why we're here. And yet, this passage is specifically spoken to people who are religious. And it's a contrast. Jesus is calling us to a contrast with the most esteemed religious people of the day. If you recall... The governing verse of the entire Sermon on the Mount is, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And at the beginning of chapter 6, he has shown 
that you should not be storing your treasures where the religious leaders are storing their treasures. Now look at verse 1. He says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men in order to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward in heaven. And then in verse 4, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. The Pharisees, they blew trumpets before they gave. They blew trumpets to impress people. They had their reward in full. But if you give in secret, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 6. When they prayed, they lifted holy hands on the street corners to be noticed by all. And he said, they have their reward in full. They got the praise and adoration of people. That's their reward. He said, but you go and pray in secret then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Then in verse 18, he talks about the religious leaders and how they fast. And how when they fast, they, they show forth through their, the wear and tear on their bodies that they're serving God. And everyone is impressed with how spiritual they are. And Jesus says they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, wash, clean up. Don't look like you're fasting. And God, who sees in secret, will reward you. And now he says, store up your treasures in heaven. At the beginning of this chapter, the real God of the religious leaders was the approval of men. And Jesus is saying, don't make the approval of men your God. Now he's turning and saying, don't make the approval, not, don't make materialism, money, and things your God. And he's still talking to the religious leaders or juxtaposing his call against the religious leaders because they sought wealth in that day. They too liked security. They liked the pleasure of things that money could buy. But they also saw their wealth as a trophy of their spirituality. Uh, they misinterpreted Old Testament passages like ones that said, God blesses you with wealth. And so they looked at that and they, they said, if you're really faithful, God's going to make you wealthy. So their wealth was a sign that they were spiritual. Unfortunately, some churches fall into that same trap today. They think that if you are faithful, if you believe enough, God's going to heal you. God's going to give you prosperity. And unfortunately, that kind of theology leads you to storing your treasures here on earth, putting our hearts on earth. But Jesus is saying, no, store your treasures in heaven. Now, I don't know if any of you is uncomfortable with that teaching. I mean, three times Jesus has already said, don't you want a reward from God? Do it in secret. Give in secret, you get a reward from God. Pray in secret, you get a reward from God. Fast in secret, you get a reward from God. In fact, you should be 
seeking to get rewards from God. And all of a sudden, it sounds mercenary. I've, I've had people approach me and say, you know, you shouldn't be teaching about rewards as a motivation for Christian living. That's selfishness. That's self-centeredness. And think about it. I mean, when Satan went up before Job, what did he say? He said, the only reason Job serves you is because you bought him off. You've given him health. You've given him family. You've given him wealth. You bought him off. And that's what it seems when we read this passage at first. It's, yeah, we'll serve God because we're going to get, maybe not riches here, but we're going to get incredible riches up in heaven. If we think that way, we're truly misunderstanding biblical rewards. C.S. Lewis in his book, Weight of Glory, helps to clear up our understanding of rewards. When he says, uh, the problem with Christians isn't that they don't value rewards, excuse me, value rewards too much, it's that they don't value them enough. Because it's the type of reward that the Lord is offering. If you do a job for pay, that's mercenary. And your reward is money. For instance, a soldier who is a mercenary, he goes and he fights battles, he puts his life on the line, to make a lot of money. That's not the kind of reward that God's talking about. The reward that the Lord talks about is really an extension and an expression of the very thing you are doing. Let me put it this way. The reward for a lover is not the diamond ring. It's marriage. The reward for a patriot is not his paycheck. It's being victorious over tyrants who oppress, who are butchers of others. That's their reward. The reward of a, an honest lawyer is not to become partner in the firm. The reward is justice in the court of law. You see the difference? God's rewards are not external payments. Of, it is the fulfillment of the greatest desire of why we pursued something in the first place. You know, what are the rewards you're seeking in heaven? Is it, I want the best mansion with the biggest pearls on the gates and throw in a Ferrari? That's mercenary. Let's read what people in Scripture who loved God, what their reward was. David says in Psalm 11, 7, the upright will see God's face. In 17:15, something very similar. As for me, I will be vindicated and I will see your face. When I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. To see God's face is to experience him to the fullest. I mean, what is our, our face shows everything. He wants to know God in his fullness. He knows, wants to know every emotion, every thought, 
that God has. That's his great reward. The Apostle Paul says, oh, let's go to Asaph in Psalm 73. He says, as for me, the nearness of God is my good. Paul in Philippians chapter 3, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, the participation in his sufferings. Jesus says this, this is eternal life, to know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. Do you see what the reward is? The reward isn't things when you get to heaven. The reward is God himself. Store up your treasures in heaven. Have that passion to drive, to know God to the fullness, completeness. Choose God over the treasures of this earth. And now he gives us five reasons in this passage why we should choose the heavenly rewards. Why choose God over the things of this earth? The first is earthly treasures don't last. He says, do not store up your treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Uh, what Jesus, the picture Jesus gives us is really self-explanatory. He's saying the treasures of this earth are transitory. They'll either corrode or wear out or be taken away from us. And if they're not, you certainly aren't going to bring them to heaven. You know the old cliche, you've never seen a hearse followed by a U-Haul. They're transitory. They just don't go with us. But somehow we don't get that still. I mean, we may know it, but it doesn't really mean a lot to us. A lot of us are still like my brother, my oldest brother. I was uh, talking to him about Christ, and he said, he said, ah, you know, this eternal life stuff. I, I don't care about eternal life. What can God do for me right now? And, and this is the moment in which we live. We live for today. We live for tomorrow. And we don't think about eternity. And my brother's made three really common mistakes when he said that. The first mistake is he doesn't understand the wonders of being in God's presence in eternity. I mean, you read, the angels are singing, and we go, well, that, that choir probably really looks forward to that reward, but uh, sing, I don't even sing well. What, what else is going to go on up there? See? And you search the scriptures, and you don't see a whole lot. And there's a reason for that. Because if God explained to us what was there, we'd say, eh, uh, that doesn't sound so great because we are so immature. You know, I've done a, a couple occasions, I've done this little children's message with three and four year olds. I don't do it with anybody older than four. I take a, a Hot Wheels car and I say, I'm going to give you a choice today. I'll give you, each of you, a Hot Wheel car like this, or I will pay for your college education. I don't worry. They all choose the car. (laughs) 
Now, if today's graduates had had that offer and accepted the car, I'm sure today, even if they go through graduation, say, how stupid was I to choose that car? He would have been paying for my college education. Right? Talking to a child about a college education is completely meaningless. They want the car. God doesn't tell us about heaven a whole lot because we are like those three- and four-year-olds. We won't value the beauty and splendor of what's going to take place there. Second mistake he makes is he he can't count. My brother couldn't count very well. You see, on this earth we have 70, 80, 90 years. Eternity is more than 100 years. It's more than 1,000 years. I I love the, the last verse of the Amazing Grace. When we've been there 10,000 years. By the way, I used to do this in a nursing home before we'd sing that. I said, who's 70 years here? A, few people, a lot of people would say, who's 80 or who's 90? And you get one or two. Who's 100? You might get one. I said, who's 1,000 years old? And they go, 1,000 years old. Well, the song says, when you've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, there's no less days to sing God's praise than when you first begun. We've got to be able to count. <laughs> and the third is having an eternal perspective. Having your treasures in heaven tremendously impacts your life on earth today. The Apostle Paul went through everything anyone could ever go through. Take some time to read uh, 2 Corinthians, the 2 Corinthians. He went through shipwrecks on a number of occasions. He was without food. He was thrown in prison countless times. He was beaten with rods once within a sliver of his life. He was once stoned and actually died. He was forsaken by disciples left and right. He was constantly under plots to kill him. He says in 2 Corinthians, I... I, Carry about in me the dying of Christ. I can be taken any day. And yet, you know what he said? We exalt in our tribulation. Here's a man that lived above every possible bad thing that could happen in life and lived in joy. He says this way. We do not lose heart because momentary light affliction. He knew how to count momentary light affliction was producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Paul valued eternal treasures and it transformed his life here on earth. So, first reason store your treasures in heaven, those last, those treasures last forever. Um, By the way, My brother didn't accept Christ that day. A year later, I got a phone. uh, I was at the laundromat, and a roommate came. Get me. He says, "Your brother's on the phone, desperate to talk to you." Pick up the phone. He's crying. He's bawling. His wife was divorcing him because she fell in love with her partner, the realtor, through whom my brother was making all his money. He accepted Christ that day. He is the most 
sacrificial living Christian I know. He got a glimpse of the eternal rewards and he is living for those. Second, our hearts are tied to our treasures. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, the heart is the emotional center of our lives. And it really goes up and down with our treasures. For instance, if I put all my money in Apple stock, guess what happens when Apple rises? I'm dancing around the house. I'm counting my money. I'm thinking of all the things I could buy. And I'm thinking, am I ever a genius? When Apple tanks, oh, what has happened? My life is over. I've got nothing left. Where am I going to get anything? I'm the biggest, stupidest jerk I know. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. When I started seminary, my treasure was my grades. Because first of all, you wanted to do well. It was supposed to help you probably get a better job in the end. But ultimately, if you get A's, that means you're spiritual. You know, uh, you know the Bible. You know, you know the Bible better than uh, other people. So it's like, ooh, he must be spiritual because he knows the Bible so well. So my treasure was my grades. And so if I got an A, I'm excited. I'm thrilled, and of course. How brilliant am I in spiritual? If I get a C, then it's, oh, oh, I am so stupid. That professor, evil, he is evil, right? (laughs) Well, you know, my grades are tied up, and then I got a girlfriend, and she became my treasure. And I noticed an interesting dynamic. If my relationship with her was going well, if I got a C, I didn't care. (laughs) And if my relationship was tanking with her and I got an A, what does it matter? It's insignificant in life. See, my heart would go up and down with my treasure. What if Jesus Christ was your treasure? What if your love was tied up in Jesus Christ, that means your heart would be with him. And when he loves you, you would be joyful and ecstatic. You'd feel great about yourself and the world. And when he doesn't love you, you'd feel miserable. See, the problem is, he always loves us. He says, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing past, present, things to come, life and death. No power or principality. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. What if he was our treasure? Our hearts would be up here. And no matter what's happening in life, we could always go back to the where we see the love of Christ and get restored again. Okay. Third reason. And this is one we often miss. Earthly treasures darken our lives. Heavenly treasure brings light. What does he mean by that? You know, if it's really, really sunny out, in fact, it's it's a beautiful day out there today, and I'm going to get in my car, and I have this little thing, and sunglasses go over here. 
and I'll put the sunglasses on. And what it's doing is it, it's tainting now. It, it's starting to take out the light. And, you know, it's basically darkening things for me. I like it. I don't want that much light, right? Now, if I put a blindfold over me, what do I feel inside? I mean, all I see is darkness, and it feels like I am in darkness because I am in darkness. And Jesus is saying, if our eye is healthy, you know, we can see. We can see rightly. But if our eye is, is diseased, if we're blind, our whole bodies are dark. And you see, when we attach our treasures to something other than God, we begin to live in darkness. It darkens our purpose in life. If my treasure is money, what becomes my purpose? To make the most money possible. And what do I end up with? A, a stack of lots of green pieces of paper. And I go, that's what I lived for? It darkens the values of our lives. If my goal is to make the most money, then I am going to cheat, I am going to lie, I am going to compromise, I am going to bribe. It darkens the values of my life. I don't care about character anymore. I will compromise that to get the dollars. And if I have money as my God, it darkens my view of you. Because if you don't have much money, what does that show of your value? What's wrong with you that you can't make money like I make money? In fact, I'm going to look at you and see not someone made in the image of God. I'm going to look at you and see you as a commodity. You are a stepping stone for me to get what I want in life. If my treasure is on earth, it darkens my view of myself. If I don't make the million dollars, then I feel like I am a failure. What is wrong with me that I couldn't get that which was going to so satisfy me in life? And if I do get it, I become arrogant and even more self-serving than ever. It darkens our view of us and it darkens our view of God. Because God now becomes a CEO of Bank of America. God's job is to provide me with money and in, in the good things of life. And if I if I don't get them, if the stock market tanks, I am saying, God, don't you care? But if we make Christ our treasure, we understand our purpose in life, our values center around developing the character of Christ, we view others as those made in the image of God, we understand our own significance and how much God loves us, and we are able to embrace everything in the sovereignty of God because ultimately we know he wants our welfare as well as his own. Why store our treasures in heaven? 
treasures of earth are transient. Our hearts get tied to our treasures and it darkens our view of life itself. And ultimately, you can only serve one master. Look at the next verse. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Now, I'm saying mammon because that's the original Aramaic word, and it means more than money. It's, it's talking about materialism. Money and the material things that money buys. And uh, sometimes it isn't so much we need the, the dollars. It's good enough if our parents have the dollars to buy the things we want. right? Um, so it's saying you can really only have one master. You can only have one boss. Now, maybe some of you have more than one boss here. And if you have bosses that are at odds, it must be very, very hard because one's asking you to do this and one's asking you to do that. You're torn and you have to choose one over the other. And if you choose this boss, this one's going to be upset at you for aren't you doing what I say? You can choose this one, the same thing, other way. Now, there is an occasion when you can have two bosses. And that is when those two bosses have identical visions, identical value systems, identical methodologies, Identical concerns, identical way of treating employees, they are identical in every way. (laughs) That's the only way you can have two masters. The only way you can have a master other than God is is Jesus, (laughs) who has identical vision, identical uh, methodology, identical values, etc., etc., etc. And if we are going to be Christian bosses, leaders in the church or in the workplace. We need to be identical with God on those things so that people have God as their boss. God is the boss of this church. So, uh, now, is God against money? No. But he wants us to unite with him in God's purpose for money, and I read this in 1 Timothy 6, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. There's somebody putting his identity in money. Don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now notice, he has provided money and wealth for our enjoyment. But more so, command them to be good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So they may take hold of that, of the life, that which is truly life. It is truly life when we were giving away, not hoarding. That's what life's all about. Fifth reason is when we treasure God, anxiety goes away. And that's what we see in these these last verses. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, drink, your body, what you'll wear. God will provide. Now, he's talking here not so much about 
okay, I'm going to try to store up as much money as possible. He's saying, I need some money to live. And what about tomorrow if I don't have the dollar bills? So it's not so much about our present account as it is our retirement account. Now, again, let me, let me say, God's not against retirement accounts. When uh, he gave the Pharaoh the dream and Joseph the ability to interpret that dream, Joseph's advice was set up a retirement account. You're going to have seven years of plenty, but they're going to be followed by seven years of famine. You better be wise and prepare for the future. He's not talking about that. What he's talking about is how much of our hearts are tied up in the basic possessions of life. Are, are our lives being lived in order to be able to exist? And, and does that anxiety grip us and freeze us in life because we're not sure about where tomorrow, what tomorrow is going to provide? And, and he's saying this. Trust God. And in this passage he says, trust the goodness of God by looking out at the world around you, seeing the birds are provided for, the flowers are provided for. Aren't you worth more to God than them? You are. You can believe God's going to be good toward you and provide what you need. And you should be able to say, yes. And then he says, so seek first the kingdom of God. The rest will be added to you. Now, something's happened since Jesus gave these words that is an even greater proof of the goodness of God and his love for us. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. I have often said from this pulpit, I can look at a lot of circumstances in my life and question the goodness of God. My mother died when I was one years old. My brother died on his 22nd birthday in a motorcycle accident. Two months after I graduated college, just becoming a Christian, trying to reach my family for Christ, my father died at 56 of a heart attack. I've been by the bedside of young mothers dying of cancer. We had a boy an 18-year-old boy drown on a church retreat. And I can wonder, where, God, where are you? What are you doing? But there's one place I go where I never, ever question the goodness of God. The most important place, the cross. There I see the incredible love of God. And when I see that love, I then can trust God with all the things I don't understand because I know he loves me. He loves each person I love. Romans 8.32 says, if God gave you the life of his son, is he going to withhold anything that's good from you? This morning uh, in kids' worship, their snack... <laughs> is a box of raisins, which they, I found out the kids really don't like the raisins. Uh, so junior hires, if you like raisins, get it afterwards. Uh, so I'm giving them, a, you know, they can have a choice between raisins or a marshmallow. 
I think they're going to choose the marshmallow. And I'm going to say, the lesson is, what's God's plan? It's, it's for his glory and your good. And what I'm trying to say is, if God's really interested in your good, you may want, want the marshmallow, but what do you think God wants to give you? He wants to give you that which is healthy and good. It may not always be our choice, but in the end, it is, it is that which is good, good for us if we're united with God's plan itself. And we know that by looking at the cross. Always look at the cross and then draw conclusions about the circumstances. Don't look at the circumstances and draw conclusions about God. So what we said today is make God your treasure in Jesus Christ. And hopefully you have a lot of intellectual reasons to do that, but I want to leave you with one heart reason, because that's where we're going to be changed. And that is, make God your treasure, because he's made you the treasure of his life. He's asking us, be willing to sell everything for God, because he was willing to trade in everything for us. Jesus lived in the glory of God from all eternity past. But when he stepped down to earth, he put aside his glory. He is king of the universe, but he took off his regal garments and his crown and took on human flesh. And when he walked this earth, we, we treated him as less than a man. When he's on the cross, we know from the Psalms, he felt like a worm in our eyes. He gave up his dignity as he was stripped naked. He gave up his body as he was whipped and his flesh was torn by the lashes. He gave up his physical life as he was tortured and tormented on the cross. But that was nothing compared to what he really gave up. He gave up his love relationship with the Father. Something that was so terrifying to Jesus that when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, <clears throat> he was more troubled <clears throat> than anyone ever was or ever will be. He sweat drops his blood as he wrestled with God's will. So down on the cross... He gave up his relationship with God and said, Father, forgive them. Do you know how much God treasures you? This much on the cross. He gave it all for you. When we understand that, and let that get into the core of our beings. And we heard Jesus saying, treasure God. That choice becomes an overwhelming joy. Our Father, bring us to the cross to know your love, to realize how much you have treasured us to know that you gave to the treasures of the universe 
so that you could have us. May we be willing to give away our treasures because we treasure you. Father, we are truly blessed. We're truly blessed, Lord, just to call you Father. We are blessed by this beautiful day, Lord, to be able to gather together safely to worship you, Lord. Lord, we are blessed daily by all that you give us, Lord. Shelter, food, clothing, vehicles, savings, jobs, income, family, friends, co-workers. You give us things, Lord, that we can use for, for leisure, for recreation, Lord. You give us and bless us with so many things, Lord. Lord, we pray that we would choose you over all that you bless us with, Lord. You are our blessing, our ultimate blessing, Lord. Lord, we pray that, yeah, we would choose you, Lord, that we would trust you above those things, Lord. We would worship you instead of those things that you give us, Lord. That we would serve you instead of serving things. Lord, we just pray that all that we do would be in praise and worship and service to you, Lord. That all that we have would also be used to praise and worship you, to serve you, Lord. Lord, we pray that especially in the, the many ministries we have, Lord, here at the church for children's ministries, Lord, for the teachers and the children there, Lord, for youth group and men's and women's Bible study, Lord, prayer shawl ministry, the, the musicians and the choir and the sound and tech and projector people, Lord, for the home fellowships and the different boards and leaders, Lord, that you have given us, Lord. We ask for your guidance, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to guide us, Lord, that we would do all these things in service and in praise and worship and thankfulness to you. Lord, and not do them just to do them or do them for those things, Lord, that you would be known and glorified through all those things, Lord. And we also think of all the missionaries that are connected to our church and that we support, Lord, missionaries here in the states and around the world, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you and your gospel go forth through them, Lord, that people would know you and love you and worship you, and they would choose you, Lord, over all the other things in this world. Lord, we lift up especially Leslie Bridge with crew. We pray that you would be using her, Lord, with the many students that she comes into contact with, Lord, students all over the East Coast, Lord, would, would know you, hear of you, Lord changed by you through crew and all the other staff that she works with, Lord. Pray that you would give her supporters prayer and financial, Lord, and that she would be empowered, Lord, to, to go forth for you, Lord. Lord, we also bring up the many physical needs, Lord, we have in this church, the many people, Lord, that are hurting. Pray for Bob French and, and Mary Boy and Rick Brown, who continue to, to battle cancer, Lord, and also lift up Steve Gerber, Lord, and just the trying times that he and his family have gone through, Lord, that just never seem to end or will come to an end. 
pray for your grace, Lord, for your power, that you would heal him and be with his wife, Lord, not just with the physical needs, but with insurance and um, just the toll that that takes, Lord, trying to figure all that out. Pray that they would feel your hand of comfort, Lord. Pray for Jane Hilton, Lord, that she would continue to cover, recover from her fall. And that, uh, yeah, you'd be with Nancy and the family as they help her and support her, Lord. Lord, we lift up other physical, financial, emotional needs, Lord, that are present in this congregation that may not be known, Lord, or about to, to come to fruition, Lord. Pray that you would be in each one of those circumstances, Lord, in, in our lives, that you would be our first thought, Lord, in those trying times, Lord, that we would look to you for our help and our healing and our needs, Lord. We also want to lift up, Lord, the Leverings, Brandon and Chris and the kids as they travel uh, to Nebraska, and then Brandon as he is going to be at a high school camp in New Mexico for a week, Lord. Pray that you be with him as he preaches and shares the gospel with the high school kids and be with Chris and the kids as they are without Brandon for a week, but with family, Lord. Pray that it be a restful and fun time with family, Lord, and be with them as they are away from us. Lord, again, we lift up Morgan Colver, Lord, and the dedication we were part of this morning. We pray for her, Lord, that she would grow up in the truth and the knowledge of you and your son. Lord, that she would know you as your, as uh, her God. She would soon worship you, Lord, as her God. And we also lift up the Culvers as they move. We are sad to see them go, Lord, but are excited for them as they move to Kansas, Lord. And give them safety in their travels and with them and all their stuff, Lord, and pray that you would bless them, Lord, help them to find a new congregation, a new body to be part of, Lord, where they can serve and be encouraged, Lord, and worship you. Lord, we do desire to seek your kingdom first, seek your righteousness, and we are faced with many choices every day, Lord, where we choose you or something else. We need help to choose you. Because we often want what we can get now, that Hot Wheel car or the marshmallow that Pastor Bruce talked about. We want the pleasure now. Lord, you help us battle our desires, our sin, Lord, that keeps us from you. And we only do that through your son, Jesus, and his saving grace. We thank you so much, Lord, of what you gave up for us to save us, Lord so that you and your Son can be our treasure. And so, Lord, we ask that, we, that you would tie our hearts to you, that you would be our greatest desire. We pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen. Philippians 3.3 3 says, It is we who worship by the Spirit of God, we who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. So let's come to Christ today, putting no confidence in ourselves or our works, placing all of our hope in Jesus. Please rise.